Hi, I'm Siobhan Hunt, and this is Kindling Conversation, a Kindling Kids radio podcast. Just a quick note before we get into the next episode. If you haven't already, I'd love you to rate and review Kindling Conversation wherever you get your podcasts, or if you enjoy the episode, share it with your friends. All right, thank you, and on with the show. When I say the words attachment parenting, what do you think of? I think of a mum who has a baby strapped to her body, someone who breastfeeds and possibly someone who co-sleeps. It's not how I would describe my own parenting style, but it turns out there are quite a few things that we all probably do that could be classified as being about attachment. To explain the history of this style of parenting, we're joined by Robin Barker, author of Baby Love. Hi, Robin. How are you? I'm very well on this beautiful, beautiful day. Oh, gorgeous. We like that. (laughs) Um, Let's start with uh, definitions, I suppose. What is attachment? So most simply stated, attachment is an enduring emotional bond between two people. In this case, we're talking about a baby and a child and its parents. But I mean, there's attachment between couples and with animals and it's it's all embracing. It doesn't just refer to a style of parenting. Children and uh, parents, yep. Okay, but what's attachment theory then? Okay, so attachment theory, where a lot of this attachment information's come from, was originally formulated by John Bowlby in the 1940s and 50s and onwards. He was a psychiatrist and a psychologist, and he was attempting to explain how the predictable presence of a responsible, loving attachment figure during infancy is crucial for lifelong mental health. He postulated originally that a child's long-term social and emotional development could be put at risk if that loving bond was not formed early in the child's life. Now, there's a couple of points I'd like to make about this. Bowlby himself was surprised, however, to discover that children proved to be far more resilient than he suspected. So he did a well-known study um, involving children separated from their mothers for long periods, and he found that those children's development and behaviour was only marginally different to a cohort of children who did not experience separation. Now, naturally, Siobhan... When there are antenatal complications, genetic problems, parental alcohol, drug abuse, instability, serious mental health problems, many children are likely to have problems ongoing into their adult lives. However, studies show that even when this is the case, a good number of these children do overcome their adversity and enter adulthood unscathed. So my point here is that nothing is cast in concrete. So if we're talking about what we are talking about, attachment parenting. So um, one of the things we do as parents is if we try something with our kids, whether it's attachment parenting or not, control crying or not, everything that we do in the back of our minds, we're thinking we are bringing up a psychotic killer because I've done the wrong thing. And what you're saying is that... What I'm saying, nothing's cast in concrete, particularly when children, I sound like a robot saying this, come from, you know, good homes with loving parents. So anyway, to continue. Yes. The main purpose of Bowlby's work was to actually to urge governments and people to look again at institutions, the care of orphans, children at risk and particularly practices in maternity hospitals and children's hospitals at that time. I mean, in children's hospitals then, parents weren't allowed to visit. 
and maternity hospitals, the babies were whipped away straight away and so on and so forth. So it's, it's thanks to Bowlby that a lot of those practices, all those practices have changed and children's hospitals and maternity hospitals are now the friendly, parent-friendly places that they are. So that was all good. But unfortunately, Bowlby's theories and findings established largely from his observation of extreme cases of neglect and abuse have been applied over enthusiastically to normal life in normal homes with normal babies. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is where we come to the idea of attachment parenting. So what is attachment parenting? To be differentiated from attachment theory. In the second half of last century, this whole attachment thing spread like wildfire and had a phenomenal effect on largely Western, well-educated, middle-class families whose children were really not at risk of having attachment problems. Attachment parenting was first coined by an American paediatrician, William Sears, in the 1970s. Loosely based on Bowlby's work, it encouraged mothers to breastfeed freely, wear their babies, co-sleep, respond quickly to crying, and above all, to avoid any form of sleep training at any age. Sears' ideas were largely taken up by middle-class mothers whose babies were at very low risk of what is known as attachment disorder. Now, initially, the anti-routine style of Sears and others, he wasn't the only one, in response to the sometimes nonsensical, even inhumane, strict routine approach of the first half of last century, was welcome by everyone, health professionals, parents, everyone. Felt more natural, maybe? Well, it was a softening up, you know, and for various reasons... Everyone said, well, why are we doing this? You know, why are we feeding them four hourly? Why are we thinking they should sleep through the night when they're, you know, very young, etc.? So this was good. However, Sears' attachment parenting rapidly moved away from being an option for those attracted to his ideas into a kind of religious-type crusade, even in its most extreme version, I believe, a cult of ideal motherhood. Oh, I like that cult of <laughs> ideal motherhood, something I am definitely not subscribing to. Um, <laughs> I couldn't. Okay. So it's giving people a platform to judge others is what you're saying. Well, um, we can talk more now about the issues I have with it and why I've said that, why I've made that comment. Break it down for us. Okay. The label, for a start, the label attachment parenting implies that only one style of parenting behaviour, that espoused by Sears and his followers, is possible for proper attachment and bonding. In fact, most babies have no trouble bonding with their parents in the normal course of events, whether their mothers follow Gina Ford, Tizzy Hall, Penelope Leach, Robin Barker, or any of the myriad (laughs) baby advisors out there telling them what to do, or whether they ignore it all and muddle along in their own way, doing what most do, a bit of everything. Yes. So, and also now, baby wearing, co-sleeping, instant bonding at birth, breastfeeding, do not dictate attachment. Normal variations in baby and toddler care does not have a major impact on development of children from good homes. So what I'm saying is all these little things are not huge. And if babies are loved, well cared for, the, the minuscule day-by-day detail of what mothers are doing is not going to dictate how that child grows up and turns out. And I also love, sorry, what you were saying there in terms of the fact that probably we're all doing something that yes. people might refer to as attachment parenting. Well, but... some days we might have a routine going and the next day we might put the baby in a sling and carry it all day. I mean, do you know? Yes. Um, 
The other problems issue I have with attachment parenting, it's fear-based because it plays on parents' insecurities. It promotes fears of insecure attachment, something which only happens in extreme cases of inattention, rejection, neglect and abuse. It's fear-mongering in relation to sleep training is alarmist in the extreme, and we might talk about that another day. Um, Now, attachment parenting markets itself as special and unique, the only way to safely and properly raise children. In fact, most of the recommendations, breastfeeding, interacting positively with babies, cuddling them, attentiveness, singing, talking, reading to them, a standard advice. Yes, that's right. They, they are not the sole province of what is known as attachment parenting. And it's wrong of them to claim that, that it is. In selling their creed, Sears and all the others who follow in his footsteps make a conga line of unsupported claims. For example, that straying from the path of baby wearing, free breastfeeding, bed sharing, baby led weaning, anti-sleep training will lead to all manner of negative outcomes, brain damage, lower IQs, behavioural problems, (laughs) which will affect children throughout their lives. On the other hand, do what they advise and hey presto, (laughs) babies will grow up smarter, healthier, more attached, more independent, more loving and better behaved with superior language skills and of course, the big magnet, higher IQs. (laughs) On close examination of the studies that Sears uses, to support all his negative claims, they're based on rats and non-human primates and on extreme cases of child abuse and neglect. At least two of the authors in the studies he uses, Alicia Lieberman and Joan Kaufman, strongly objected to the use Sears made of their work, which was referring not to routine, brief, stressful experiences, which all babies, toddlers, children have, helps them to become a bit more resilient after all, but their cases were about abuse and neglect and pathological parents. The claims that attachment parent, attachment parented children are all round better than ordinary run-of-the-mill kids is unsupported nonsense. There is no evidence that kids brought up a la Sears turn out any differently from kids, other kids within stable, loving home environments. The generation of war baby and early baby boomer kids, around one, when so-called attachment parenting was yet to be invented, a testament to this. <laughs> I love that. Okay, just to summarise, things like bed sharing, baby wearing, baby led weaning are options for all f- for whom this appeals. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with these things. They're no. great. If they appeal to you, go for it. Sleep training older babies and toddlers and separate sleeping are also perfectly reasonable options. Parents and health professionals who have strong objections to sleep training are under no obligation to advise it or undertake it, but nor do they have a moral obligation to cast aspersions on parents who do. Yeah, that's a good point, isn't it? I think that's a uh, – you take a deep, deep breath there, Robin. <laughs> I, think, I think you've covered everything. I think – I mean, it, it is it is sometimes controversial, but I love what you say in terms of. I mean, the the underlying message is. I that, just you know... would like to finish with one last oh, okay. comment, if Go that's on. okay. Go Parents on, are quite capable of figuring out the best arrangements for themselves without being subjected to over-the-top proselytising or heavy-handed, unsupported claims of benefits and risks that come with the attachment parenting industry. Uh, well done. I feel like clapping. I want to clap. That was a good summation. And I love that idea. I do love that idea that parents, sometimes I feel like we just 
think parents are really dumb. We're not dumb. We're we not dumb. Give us the give us just yeah. the facts. And don't try, don't try and scare everyone. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what I really don't like. I agree. Mm. I agree. Well, thank you, Robin, for breaking that down for us. <laughs> that's Robin Barker. She's the author of Baby Love. She has her own website, and we'll pop links up to her website on ours. That's kindling.com.au.